Well, good morning. It's good to share in worship of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and to praise the name of our, our great God as we worship together. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. How awesome is the Lord Most High, the great King over all the earth. In the church calendar, last Thursday was Ascension Day, when we think of the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ to the Father's right hand. And the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ should inspire us with confidence, give to our hearts and minds in all who trust in him a deep assurance about our lives, about his church, about this world. And we are glad for ways in which we uh, find this true in our experience and sad that sometimes we think and act and live in ways as if it was not true. And it reveals our lack of faith in his power to deal with this world and make all things well. Let's pray together, praising and confessing and assuring ourselves of the pardon that he gives. Let's pray. God of glory, the God who has gone up high, we exalt your name. The Father God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Lord Jesus Christ, who descended from the Father's nearness and closeness, the Word made flesh, our mediator and high priest, we bless you for coming among us, for embracing our humanity, for experiencing the joys and sorrows of life, and for tasting in ways far greater than we ever do the fierce temptations and trials of this world, yet without sin. Because of this, though you are exalted as King of kings and Lord of lords, we know and are assured that you are able to sympathize with us and rejoice with us too. That's why we want to clap our hands all the nations too, to shout to God with cries of joy. Lord of glory, we often sing of your lordship over all creation and your headship over your people. And yet we may wring our hearts in despair in the face of today's events and in the knowledge of the weakness of your people and the sin of our own hearts. Help us today to live with confidence in your presence and in hope for life with you forever because of your redemptive ministry, that ministry that took you all the way to death upon a cross for us, and that ministry that continues in heaven above to your people this day. We thank you for the good news of the gospel, that if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, the ascended, righteous Lord Jesus Christ, who is at the Father's side. Thank you that he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. In Christ, 
we are forgiven. Thanks be to God this day. Amen. We listen for the word of God, firstly from Psalm 110, the Lord and his chosen king. The Lord said to my Lord, sit here at my right until I put your enemies under your feet. From Zion, the Lord will extend your royal power. Rule over your enemies, he says. On the day you fight your enemies, your people will volunteer Like the dew of early morning, your young men will come to you on the sacred hills. The Lord made a solemn promise and will not take it back. You will be a priest forever in the priestly order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your side. When he becomes angry, he will defeat kings. He will pass judgment on the nations and fill the battlefield with corpses. He will defeat kings all over the earth. The king will drink from the stream by the road, and strengthened, he will stand victorious. And then from Acts chapter 1, Jesus is taken up to heaven. When the apostles met together with Jesus, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time give the kingdom back to Israel? Jesus said to them, The times and occasions are set by my Father's own authority, and it is not for you to know when they will be. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be filled with power, and you will be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up to heaven as they watched him and a cloud hid him from their sight. They still had their eyes fixed on the sky as he went away, when two men dressed in white suddenly stood beside them and said, Galileans, why are you standing there looking up at the sky? This Jesus, who was taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way that you saw him go to heaven. And then from Hebrews, Jesus, the great high priest. Let us then hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we have a great high priest who has gone into the very presence of God, Jesus, the Son of God. Our high priest is not one who cannot feel sympathy for our weaknesses. On the contrary, we have a high priest who is tempted in every way that we are, but did not sin. Let us have confidence then and approach God's throne where there is grace. There we will receive mercy and find grace to help us just when we need it. Thank you very much. Just before we share in the message on God's word today, uh, can I bring you greetings from the Baptist College and, and uh, just say thank you for your own interest and support over the years um, of the work there in training men and women for ministry in various ways and forms in life today. 
Um, I have lectured there, I think, for over 30 years, one way and another. So I've seen all the different changes and uh, approaches and know that that still continues. The, the college has faced quite a bit of pressure in the last uh, year or so because Paisley University, in which it's set, University of West of Scotland now, um, has altered its, its way of working. So after having been accredited with our various modules, we had to remodel again uh, the whole program. Um, we had a very fine result from externals the last time, and the new model has been accepted and is ready to run from September, which means extra work, of course, for lecturers and the changes that, that is required. Um, one of the issues that the college faces today is changing patterns of how people cope with life and mortgages and family and work and fit in studying often later in life um, for ministry of various kinds. And uh, that, that's an issue for how the college delivers its program within the university or perhaps elsewhere at other times. Um, but also with the recession, there are challenges just to have a, a, a proper student body of numbers. We've had good numbers over these last few years and really reaching the kind of capacity that the college can take. But that's under challenge at the present time. And of course, um, both financially and in viability in terms of having good programs for a good student experience, which is everything nowadays. I don't remember it being quite like that, Dougie, in our day. They didn't worry about good student experience. They just wanted you to learn and get on with it. Um, but that's all part of life today. And uh, so, obviously, it's very important that we do get good applications and for various types of modules and for the full program as well. Some of our work-based learning type programs have been very fruitful and effective. And some of the programs in training mentors have become uh, very helpful to the university in its own interests in that area as well. For a good deal of hands-on training is involved in most university work nowadays. Um, so I'd bring you the greetings of the college and thanks for your own interest and pray uh, that you would be continuing to do that and ask that you continue to remember us in prayer. Jim Gordon, the principal, um, has had a lot of pressure for a variety of reasons over this past year or so, and uh, it'd just be good if you could remember him in your prayers along with the other staff, of which I'm just a little part of it. I do act as president. I'm not quite sure what the whole title means. It's a pared-down version of what it used to be, um, but it has a kind of pastoral representational role and sometimes chairing certain types of meetings that needs someone to be a bit impartial in relationship to staff discussions and the future of the work in that way. So that's a little greeting from the college. Um, Jim Gordon, of course, was originally going to be preaching today and then stood down uh, on the uh, opportunity for Dave Murray to come and preach a, a test sermon, as it were, um, and then, of course, Dave has unfortunately uh, not been just so well recently. I haven't got any up-to-date news, but I, I would think probably things are a bit more stable again. It's an ongoing problem that he has faced, and it just seems to have come to the surface again, possibly with too much pressure in recent times in different ways. 
Um, so I'm, I'm the, the third stand-in. I, I took my daughter when she was at school, secondary school, doing music, higher music. And uh, she was doing things to do with pointillism in art and stuff like that and music as well. And I took her to hear this concert in Glasgow in which the composer she was studying, Schoenberg, had one piece represented, to which I have to say most of Glasgow's audiences were not amused. Um, it's not the easiest of stuff, and it was such a disaster in the end that the, the orchestra threw in an extra symphony at the end just to keep everybody happy, which was very good. Um, however, the reason for it really being so bad was not Schoenberg's writing and composing, but the poor soloist was the third in line. The first one had taken ill and was indisposed, so a second came on board, and that was fine, good time, and then took indisposed just before the programme, and someone else was slotted in, and she didn't make it. It was such a shame. So I hope you don't have the same experience this morning. The theme is wrapped around the ascension this morning, and... With that great story in the Acts, Luke, as he does also in his Gospel, is largely responsible for bringing us the event of the ascension into our domain. I'd like to look at the theme this morning in two ways. One, in a broad way, trying to grasp something of its significance and importance for us. And then secondly, taking One example from the book of Hebrews that was read to us just a few moments ago of how this operates in our lives. And I've brought it under the title, um, A Friend in High Places. Now, it is good to have a friend in high places. Uh, It was mentioned earlier that I served as part-time chaplain to the American Navy Um, a a holy act in the holy loch in a fairly unholy circumstance, it would seem. And one of my tasks was to hold a service on board the ship uh, every Sunday morning, which meant an early start, an early rise, an early service, uh, so that I could get on and off the ship and back to Dunoon Baptist Church for the morning service that I was supposed to conduct and so on. Now, it had been given as a guarantee that no matter what was taking place on the ship and what was happening around it, there were often submarine movements, for example, um, I was given permission to be coming on board and off board in time for church. And that worked fine until one young man in in, uh, duty um, who had a complete hatred of Christians and ministers in particular decided to make life difficult for me. The little boat would often be late in taking me on the ship, and it certainly was often slow in taking me off. And my congregation was getting upset because I wasn't getting back on time. I knew I had to deal with the matter. I tried quietly raising the issue with them, being patient. And then one day I thought, today is the day I've got to deal with the matter. And just as I went to speak to him, someone came on board who attended our church and who was a high-ranking officer, and he seemed to notice that I had a concern in my face. And he said, what's the matter, Deans? So I said to the sailor, please tell him what the matter is. But he remained silent, so I told him. He said, I'll speak to the captain. I don't know what the captain said to the sailor, (coughs) But thereafter, it was, yes, sir, yes, sir, boat and time, anything I wanted was mine. 
I was learning something that you can't do in the ministry, but you can do in the Navy, pull rank. Um, But, in fact, I had a friend in high places. That's what made the difference. And in a way, Christians can pull rank. Because through the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have a friend in the highest of places, at the Father's right hand. Not so much a location, but a place of authority and rule and reign. Martin Luther said it simply means that that rule is everywhere. So Christ is present in heaven, but operating still here on earth. And if the world is spinning around on an axis of our own folly and sin, it's good to recognize that when we feel so helpless about it, We have a friend in high places who knows what he is doing. And as God's people, even in our own land, where we can feel sometimes downhearted and subdued and impotent to win the world for Jesus Christ, the ascension speaks into that void. We have a friend in high places. His name is Jesus Christ. That Christ has ascended is embedded in our creeds. And yet, is there any part of our faith and doctrine that has suffered so much neglect? The ascension, someone has said, is like a lost family heirloom. But why is this? Well, perhaps it's because in the church calendar, it always lands 40 days after Easter, which means a Thursday. It doesn't get the Sunday treatment. If you're in churches that are highly liturgical in their structures and in their use of the church calendar, then sure, you'll have your feast days, as the Orthodox churches would do. Ascension means a great deal in the Orthodox church. But often for evangelical Christians and churches, the ascension is a kind of footnote to the story of Easter. A minor moment between Easter and Pentecost. And some people can't wait to get from Easter to the great explosive day of the coming of the Spirit. More's the pity. Because without the ascension, the resurrection hasn't achieved its end. And Pentecost would never come. The ascension story, of course, is often seen as an outdated and outmoded husk of the good news in which it was once wrapped. I wonder if sometimes there's a kind of Christian embarrassment over the ascension. No, no part of the Christian faith poses so sharply the whole question of history and myth, said someone. And no part has suffered such neglect and oblivion. The spatial imagery of the story, its picture, they say, of a three-storied universe, seems at odds with our modern understanding of the universe. Although, I wonder if people were as thick as we sometimes think they are long ago. Perhaps they didn't quite visualize it the way we imagine they do. People find it hard to take in as an event And turn it into a spiritual experience. As our main account comes largely from Luke, in his Acts and in his Gospel, 
very little description is given. But actually, there's almost as little description of the resurrection. What we see is what follows the resurrection as opposed to the event itself. In fact, no one was there to see it. They saw the risen Christ as they see the Christ ascend. But the reality of the story, if not the story itself, is not tucked away into a corner of the Gospels and the Acts. Throughout the scripture, it gets the highlighter treatment. It's significant moments in the teaching of God's word. The idea of ascension wraps its tentacles around many passages of scripture. As the writers look to the risen, glorified, reigning, coming soon, Lord, ascension is implied as part of that process. As we said, the conviction of its reality is embedded in creeds. It's inextricably linked with the death and resurrection of Jesus. One creed says he was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate and suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of the Father. Baptists have not always been creedal in their understanding, but they did produce confessions of faith. Here is one from the London community. On the third day he rose from the dead with the same body in which he had suffered, with which he also ascended into heaven, and there sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession and shall return to judge men and angels at the end of the world. That's why, in fact, theologically, it has always been understood that Christ's resurrection, ascension, and session, his reign on high, are all one of the same wonderful process and event. The reality is not only in our creeds, but it's also in our songs. In my youth, Ascension was in our songs quite a lot. And I wonder if it's because at that time, in Renfrew Baptist Church, we had a kind of, this world is not my home spirituality. We're almost the opposite end of the spectrum today, where Christians want to be in the world. The trouble is, there's a danger of losing yourself in there, becoming of it. If being not your home type of approach can make you neglect it, Paying too much attention to it can make you be swallowed up by it. And the antidote to both is to understand the ascension. For the ascension is not escapist. It's actually about the world, and about the church, and about Christ's kingdom. So one of the songs we sang, and I loved it in my childhood, and still hum it to myself. Francis Ridley Havergrave's great hymn, written for children, an ascension hymn for children, supposedly written in 10 minutes because she was at a camp somewhere or where children were at school and they wanted a hymn for ascension. And here it is, Golden Harps. And that's the bit everybody thinks, oh, that's all about heaven. But 
Harps are beautiful. It doesn't matter to me what musical instrument. Let it be guitars if you prefer. But they're sounding. Angel voices sing. Pearly gates are opened. Opened for the king. Jesus, king of glory. Jesus, king of love, is gone up in triumph to his throne above. And uh, there was a chorus that went that all his work is ended. Um, Gratefully we sing. That wonderful sense of the King of glory who ever lives and ever loves too. Quite honestly, I can still feel today the sheer confidence I sometimes knew as a child when we sang that hymn. I can feel its buzz in my bones because it lifted me up as a child to the wonderful triumph that makes me want to shout. And I'm no Lulu. So what is the significance of it? What's its meaning for you and me as his people? And what is its meaning for the world? Now, that's a wide subject. So I just want to select one or two things that um, come from the scriptures and help us to understand its meaning for us. And the first is this. It's the culmination of the appearances of Jesus on earth. Acts tells us he had given them many infallible proofs in 40 days that he was the risen Lord. He had showed them his hands and his side on request by that longing desire of Thomas to prove that Christ was risen. Frankly, in the end, he didn't need it, which is just as well, because Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. William Barclay thought there was something would be something quite wrong with the ascension, and or sorry, something quite wrong with the appearances of Jesus Christ if they had merely slowly faded out, if the whole thing, as he said, petered out. For the moment of ascension made it clear to his disciples, though they were reluctant to accept it, that he was going to his Father as he had said. His appearances would no longer happen like this. It wouldn't be the normal Christian experience. That he was going to be with the Father in order to reign over his church and his world. The cloud that welcomes him, just as at the transfiguration, echoes the Shekinah glory of the Old Testament and is a welcoming crowd, welcoming him into the presence of God. It's also a kind of barrier to their curiosity. Artists have had a field day trying to imagine the resurrection. There's one that has the hands just cut off at the top of the painting to give a feeling that he's already moving in. There's others where you see him floating slowly into the air towards the cloud. There's others where all you see are the soles of his feet as disciples look up. In fact, I was looking at something on internet, uh, the Chapel of Ascension in Walsingham, and there's a pair of plaster feet in the ceiling um, sticking out from it. And people have often been interested in that. One of the other things artists have often done is leave footprints on a rock and no sign of Christ. Uh, there's a rock uh, near the Mount of Olives um, where I've been escorted by a young Muslim lad who became a Christian. And in his quaint way, 
would say loudly for the sake of any dangers that might be to him conveying Christian truth. This is the feet mark of Jesus that I set when he left from this earth in his ascension, so they say. And then he'd whisper out the side of his mouth. But we don't believe that anyway. That's a lot of nonsense, but we do believe he's ascended. Something to that kind of effect. But ascension isn't a moving staircase or a blast off from a launch pad. Ascension is the transition of the physical presence of Jesus Christ in his glorified body into the Father's presence. It's also a departure. It's a way of saying, I'm going. It's, it's why the disciples feared they would be desolate and orphaned. And they were initially saddened and perplexed by it all. And, and you, can, you can see that even in the story the, the, of Acts, wondering what, what's happening even although Jesus had clearly told them he would not leave them friendless or desolate. Alexander McLaren, the great Bible expositor, once entitled a sermon, The Absent Present Christ, because we need to wrestle with that fact. Christ is not here physically. He's not located geographically. And that's a, a problem for us unless we understand the ascension aright. He's absent in the sense that he's not geographically confined any longer. And so he can be with his people everywhere. If he was geographically and bodily confined, um, we couldn't say, well, he's here with us today, could we? But because he's now in heaven above by his spirit, he's able to be with his people, to dwell among us and to live in our hearts. So the departure is a departure of a particular kind in order to be present in a new and fresh way. The ascension is also the enthronement of Jesus, a kind of coronation where that which was said above the cross, this is the king of the Jews, is expanded so that we know he's Lord of Lord and King of Kings. And some of the Psalms capture that note, one nicely read for us this morning. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Quoted often in the New Testament and often on the words, on the lips of Jesus himself. A Psalm of the God going up. A Psalm reminding of his, of his triumph. A Psalm which for the king of David long ago would be a meaningful sense of his God's presence and refreshment and power and strength. But with no king anymore except Jesus, it's changed into a messianic psalm that tells us that he's in control. And you understand, immediately that brings the world into view, not just the church. We've got a friend in high places and this is political in a sense. For to call him king and call him lord 2,000 years ago was to endanger your life because there was only one lord fundamentally, Caesar. So the Christian finds themselves looking to that friend in heaven as the king, and king, king of kings and lord of lords who will rule over this world and who will one day bring this world to rights? In all the despair that we can feel 
How wonderful to know that he is in sovereign control. The ascension is a prelude to the sending of the Spirit. But since Pentecost is coming up, I assume you'll hear about that and we won't say much. But just simply to remind you that it was because Jesus had ascended that the Father gave him the Spirit that he might send him into our lives. This wonderful, special, glorious gift of the indwelling Spirit. But here's a glorious thing. The ascension is the prototype of our ascension. This same Jesus that you saw go will return. This humanity is exalted with our Lord Jesus Christ. Irenaeus, a second century church father who knew Polycarp, a martyr who was a friend of John, the beloved disciple. That's how close the connection is. Beautifully put it this way. Jesus has entered into heaven and bears us there. At the throne of God sits the Word made flesh, transfigured and glorified. Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, takes human nature into the presence of God. Chrysostom saw it as a great battle and victory over hell itself. Hell took a body, he said, and discovered God. It took earth and encountered heaven. If Christ hallowed human life and the human body through his incarnation, how much more has he dignified our life, our very bodies, to be glorified as new spiritual bodies in his ascension? Sometimes we forget that wonderful truth. And it helps us with the vagaries of life, with the tragedies that befall us, with the curse of Alzheimer's, with the difficulty of long-term illness, with accidents and disease and with death and the wasting of the human body. I'm so glad Matthew Bridges captured that in Crown Him with Many Crowns. Crown Him the Lord of Love. Behold his hands and side, those wounds yet visible above in beauty glorified. It seems the only man-made thing in heaven are the wounds of Christ. But what a thing Christ has made of humanity. The man of glory, Rabbi Duncan once put it, the dust of earth is the throne is on the throne of heaven. There's no split between the world of the spirit and the world of matter. God saves us whole, not just our soul. And because we are already united with Christ and seated with him in the heavenlies, something of that already is in our being. The ascension, of course, means work for us to do in the power of the Spirit until Christ returns. For it is a pledge of the Spirit and it is a pledge of his return. But it's wonderful to think that his heavenly ministry is, is different now for us here on earth. He no longer is located here, but we are his body that we might serve him and he might work in and through us. Jesus isn't on sabbatical. He continues his earthly ministry from his heavenly headquarters. 
Martin Luther, who always had a cheeky kind of side to his nature, said, Christ is not lolling about in heaven having fun with the angels. No, he's an active, ruling Lord, working in and through his people, governing the world, and as head of the church, calling us to be his witnesses and workers in this world. Our mission is motivated by the ascension, because it's his mission that he's carrying out. We are his mission. It's not even that we do mission. We are his mission in this world. And the church, as the body of Christ, act as his hands and feet and mouth and mind and heart everywhere they go. By the presence of the Spirit among us and within us, Jesus keeps his promise, Lo, I am with you until the end of the age. And now a moment on the specific example from his heavenly ministry. We could say so much more, obviously, about the meaning of and significance of the ascension itself. I, I was learning earlier in the vestry that you had a church meeting recently intertwined with worship and praise, a service of worship, a king's business meeting, if you like. And what a difference that makes when we understand it. Because what we're saying is, as a fellowship, as a church, facing tricky decisions for the future, not least what you do with this building and if it's possible to do it and when you can do it and so on, and to do it for the work that Christ has given you to do by his Spirit. To know that what you're doing is not seeking who's got the best view or who's got the best opinion or who's got it right. But what is the mind of Christ for this congregation at this time? And to believe that he who rules the universe can guide a local congregation and see them through whatever it is he determines that they should do. That's the wonderful sense of ascension, that he's living and active and interested and caring. And so Hebrews chapter 4, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, the ascension right in the heart of it, a great high priest who gives us open access to God as never before. Open access is a very interesting thing um, that people are interested in now in peer-reviewed journals for scholars that it all be available for everybody and so on and so on. Um, but here is an open access that is most wonderful. No longer a priest waiting to take us into the Holy of Holies by his representative pre presence but standing and sitting with Christ already in principle, in reality, in the heavens, because he is there. This one who is permanently in the presence of God, the advocate for the Father, caring for his church, guiding it, there to speak on behalf of us when we fall and fail and sin, that we might be refreshed and renewed and forgiven and restored but also there to pray for us, to plead for us by his presence there, that we might be able to stand the tests of the time, for it's a pretty chill atmosphere for the Christian church in our land today.
And in all these things, we have one who sympathizes with our weaknesses. He's not forgotten what it's like to be here, this ascended Christ. All our sorrows, all our joys beat in his heart in heaven. He's tasted it for us that we might know his help. He understands what his people go through because of what we went through. So he's well qualified to help. He was tested and tried and yet without sin. So he's got the strength to help us overcome when we might more easily fall and fail. And he comes to our help when we ask. We've got a friend in the highest of places. And so we can approach the throne. Can you understand what that means? This throne that was so holy, we could never be there. We can approach that throne. The throne of grace. That wonderful blessing of the graciousness of God towards us. With confidence. Not arrogance, which is quite a different thing. But quiet, assured confidence. With a purpose that we might find Mercy, which deals with our misery, and grace, which deals with our guilt, to help us in our time of need. The book of Hebrews is writing to Christians who might easily drift and fall and apostatize because of the pressures all around them. We've seen that happening in our land in the lifetime of my ministry. I don't think it was all because of my ministry, but it's happened nevertheless. And God says, don't despair. Look to him, your friend in heaven. I was quite moved not so long ago um, going to hear a concert about Messian's Lascension. And it was a recorded program and there was explanations about it. And there was a very interesting thing that, although he said many people might not believe what Messian believed with his Catholic faith, He truly believed that Jesus Christ was ascending to heaven, had ascended to heaven and taken humanity there with him. Quite unashamedly, he said this as as, as he ought to have done as a neutral, whatever he thought himself. And it's interesting that you find that over and over again in some of the music. Bach, for example, had a number of oratorios, ascension ones. One of them he wrote when he had lost some of his children to death. And it's fascinating. How do you write joyous triumph in the face of deepest sorrow and loss? And in this particular one, it's very interesting that he takes note of the sadness of the disciples as Jesus ascends and departs. Ah, Jesus, is your departure already so near? Ah, is the hour then already there when we must let you leave us? Ah, behold how hot tears roll down our pale cheeks, how we yearn after you, how all our consolation is nearly destroyed. Ah, do not withdraw from us yet. And so on. But by the end, it's full of confidence, hope, and joy. Because now it's understood. Why do you stand looking up into heaven? Do you not know he'll return just as he left? And that he's there now to come and care for us 
support us and encourage us until that day when he'll return for us and wipe away every tear from our eyes. The ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray in the name of this risen, ascended Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, we praise you for the many joys of life, for the beauty of creation, for your work in this world, for the growth of your kingdom, and for that great source of happiness and joy, your gift of eternal life. Thank you that as our mediator you stand before God petitioning him on our behalf so we can bring our prayers in your name with boldness and confidence that our Father in heaven will hear and answer. Hear our prayers for this creation and its care, world so ravaged by humankind, by natural disaster. We pray for the nations of the world so raging in their own needs and their hatred of you. We think of lands like Greece and Spain caught up now in the great problems of economics and all that that brings to people. And for the thousands and thousands of young people in this land, in Spain, in Greece, and many other lands who have no work to do and little future hanging before them. We pray for this community here, this congregation. We ask that you will bless it in its work and ministry, in its decisions it makes, in its hopes for the future concerning this building. Be their guide and director and provider. Help them whatever way the decisions are made and whatever way possibilities might be to handle it in your will and purpose and trust in you. Remember those who have particular needs. Not, though, not, all, not, not all of us, Lord, have special needs at every time in our life physically, but we remember especially those who have long-term illness and learning to adapt to that. Remember those struggling with the difficulties of great old age. May they know your help and your presence. We ask for those in leadership that they might be given wisdom and grace. Remember the pastor here, that she might know your help day by day. We remember the ministry of this congregation. Think even of the event today, the things the children have been doing and the work of Christian aid. Ask your blessing there. We pray all of this in your strong name, O Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in the certainty of your word. Evil will be overcome. Your work, O Christ, will be accomplished. The darkness is still heavy upon this world, but we see the dawning of your kingdom. Bestow on us the light of your life eternally, that we might be light to this world. For your name's sake. Amen. And so to him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, 
be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore.